this is one of the biggest assets that we have as a company, Siemens, that we can offer to digital talents, that we can tell them, look, this is about helping to make manufacturing more efficient and safe resources. This is helping to transport things more, more simplified. This is helping to use equipment more effective. Then they can translate it into what this means for a society. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind Machines in the Gradient Descent. Thanks that you tuned in again to listen and to geek out with us over the fascinating field of AI and the roles of human. We are Uli and Avery, your hosts for this episode, and we're super excited to introduce you to our today's genius mind, Robert Neuhauser, the global head of Siemens People and Leadership, who's passionate about driving new ways of leadership that create innovative and diverse cultures for Siemens businesses. The combination of empathy, innovation, and a new working culture is something that we at the Siemens AI Lab also highly acknowledge. So let's maybe jump directly into this episode with an open mindset, ready to unlearn and create space to discover new perspectives. Robert, we are very delighted to have you with us today and that you are taking some time off out of your busy schedule to be the guest on this podcast. How are you and where do we catch you today? Thanks for having me. Actually, you catch me on the roof of, of our house where my family told me to stay so that I don't disturb the rest of the family most of the time. Nice. Love that, right? I guess we all feel somehow in this kinds of situation. Uh, Robert, your Vita shows quite some experiences from uh, amazing backgrounds, actually. I mean, seriously, bio-nanotech, like the hot stuff, right? At the MIT during your postdoc time, right? And now HR, you know, the first question came to mind, dude, what the heck happened to you, right? Can you maybe give you, not only us, but also the audience outside here, you know, a small sightseeing to you? You know, what's, what was the journey like here to Siemens? And the question is, what is harder, HR or bio-nanotech? <laughs> um, yeah. so, so actually, in, indeed, I, I have experienced quite a few different perspectives during my career. And this is, by the way, what, what I really like. So I started off as a physicist, chemist, did this, as you mentioned, stuff at MIT doing research. I used to work on, on high-security semiconductor devices. And at Siemens, for example, when, after joining Siemens around about 10 years ago, I was starting off uh, by driving a company-wide uh, innovation initiative, just being asked pretty quickly whether I wouldn't want to run a global manufacturing optimization in initiative across all our 300 manufacturing sites worldwide at Siemens, which was a fascinating experience because I never had experienced something like that. After doing this for quite some while, I got the really great opportunity to basically run the turnaround of one of our biggest crisis projects at Siemens for nearly four and a half years, where you really understand how big crisis feels from the inside before taking over one of our most successful business units as a CEO, running a global business of around about 10,000 people, which was quite the opposite. So this was perfectly well running 
And the question was rather, how do I get flexibility into this very structured and well-running business? So quite a different uh, background on, on many things. But what was common to most of them was always kind of the experience. Finally, no matter whether it's crisis, well-running project, very cool, diverse project teams at MIT, it always comes down to people and how they interact. And so it was kind of natural that I said, yes, I want to do this when I got the opportunity to run uh, Global People and Leadership at Siemens, which is a cool company anyhow. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. We also found another cool thing. It was a quote of, from you in which you say, making a career doesn't mean climbing the traditional career ladder anymore. It is all about the individual journey. And That's a huge challenge for big organizations, right? So what can leaders actually do to support this kind of transition towards more agility and individuality at the workplace together with the people? I guess that it starts with, with acknowledging that this is indeed the case, that the fun part of careers is not climbing ladders anymore, but the fun part is gaining different experiences. And that's also what makes people valuable, by the way. We pay more for people with, with various important experiences rather than necessarily for being higher in the ranks. So getting this understanding first is, I guess, important. But then very operationally, as a leader, you can basically do three things. The first is help your employees that they are responsible for their own careers because they only they know their aspirations, where they are strong, where they are perceived as being strong, but they don't like things to do. So, so they are the ones who, who need to drive this career. So don't tell people that you can plan it for them. Tell them you are in the driver's seat. So that's probably the first thing. Second thing is, if you do this, you need to make sure that people are able to do it. So think about how can you help them to gain insight into different jobs where they have no clue of. How can you help them to find the cool job in your company? How can you encourage them to move to new jobs instead of waiting on the risk-free place or seemingly short-term risk-free place where they are? And the third thing that you can do as a leader is really working on the, on the fundamental processes in the company that hinder this kind of career journey. At Siemens, for example, we recognized around about two years ago that our global job grading systems made us very rigid and, and often hindered that people would move into a job that they found interesting because they realized it might have a lower job grade, so I would earn less money or something like that. And after we recognized that this fundamentally hindered the lateral experience gains of our people, we just decided to get rid of all those global level systems and by the way, with, with great success, because we had no disadvantage, but see already the advantage of more lateral movement. So that are the key things. Encourage your people, tell your people that they are responsible for their careers. Second, help to remove the barriers so that they can do this journey. And third, systematically screen a couple of the big processes in such companies that hinder this kind of non-traditional career development. Was a long answer, but I, I think it's really yeah, nice. Love it. <laughs> yeah, what a great recipe, right? And I also heard that at Siemens we say own your career. I think that 
also corresponds quite well to your first point. Absolutely. I also have another quote. I'm into the quote games recently. So focus on <laughs> developing strength and, and not on improving weaknesses. It's a nice creator, right? But if we put it in other words, that actually means to really reflect upon our personal strengths. And now I'm very curious to know what are your hidden strengths? The hidden ones? The hidden ones. Um, that, that's cool. I start with the simpler one. So, so what a couple of people see as my obvious strengths is that I'm normally quite logical and I can be quite radical when I'm convinced that something is logical. What people recognize only after a while, I can be extremely patient. When I'm convinced that something is right and I'm, I'm convinced that this is not going to be easy to get there, I can become extremely patient and persistent in driving in this direction. And that surprises sometimes people, but I believe specifically in large organizations, this is a specific strength, I guess. A hidden one, perhaps. That's always needed, actually, right? Seems also a bit of resilience then included, right? If you, if you yes. open these. <laughs> it does not always mean that it feels perfectly fine. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. Speaking of digitalization, right? In, if, if we look right at the big book bulk here, digitalization, tremendous speed, tremendous scale, everybody demands scale. And we see this, you know, this advances and also recent advances, whether it's from technology or from the business models side or from the ecosystem from the partner right this is enormous speed and it seems to be that you know also in a large organization we demand from the people actually quite what what somehow we call this the trust on speed momentum right because everything mm -hmm. moves so quickly that even somehow also for techies and nerds right it's actually super tricky to flect on the actual you know large impact of of your very own work Do you think in current times, are we setting the right priorities, staying human over the technical advances? Or are we just blinded and fascinated by the advancements that we have through digital technologies? I think this is an extremely important question that you're raising. And first of all, I think both need to go forward with the same speed. And, and this is a challenge. And therefore, At Siemens, one of our strategic priorities is indeed technology with purpose. And, and we very deliberately put this this way because technology that starts to decouple from how fast people understand what the purpose of this technology is, is not sustainable. So if we talk technology with purpose, this is exactly to your point. You need to develop the understanding for the purpose and the understanding for the technology at the same speed. And we need to be, indeed be careful not to speed up technology only because in the long run, it will slow down things because technology will just stop if people don't get it anymore. Not only from a pure skills perspective that we lose out on people that could use the technology, but also the acceptance. So I guess technology with purpose is a key element of how we need to do innovation going forward. And it encompasses a couple of things that we might come, come to later. According to a recent Gartner survey, I came across uh, 64% of managers believe that office workers are higher performers than remote workers. 
the current pandemic also showed enormous flexibility from both sides, so the organizations and the people in terms of where they work. But it seems also that this flexibility may also shift from location to time. So what importance would you say plays the time in which employees are expected to work? Let me comment on, on the first part that you made, that 64% of managers believe that office workers are higher performing than remote workers. It's just interesting. It's indeed belief. And there are a couple of studies out there that, that would question this, actually. But your original question was about time. So do we see, see also more flexibility with regards to time and what would this mean? I believe that, that we, we already see this, that people want to be more flexible, not only where they work, but also when they work. This has advantages for both sides. Our jobs get more attractive if you allow this. On the other hand, for, for people, this allows them more, much more flexibility to optim optimize their own working environment. However, obviously, this, again, like, like the technology part, this needs to come with, with a couple of things that we develop at the same speed at the same time. So in former times, when everyone was working at the same time, it was obvious that response could be expected in a certain, uh, certain time frame. If we now have more flexible working hours, we need to really renegotiate and often individually renegotiate what are the right time response times, for example. And if you don't get to a common understanding between the company and the, and the individual on what for this individual in this specific situation are, is the right response time, guaranteed response time, if you talk in technical terms, then we run into trouble because we create a lot of stress for the employee and at the same time potential unsatisfied performance experience for the company. So again here, yes, it will evolve. We will have more flexibility, but we need to develop at the same time the rules of the game for this. And we are not there everywhere now. Yeah, that's true. Starts with very, very simple thing. Just adding to your email that, that you respect the person would not respond immediately. It just releases a lot of, removes a lot of stress on people here. I, th I thought also when when I found the the, the, the stats on sixty four percent believe right workers are in in the store in the in the location uh, at the organization right have a high performer it doesn't correlate with the gut feeling I I currently have also working with the teams because also even through this pandemic performance actually increased slightly to be honest um, even though we all distributed and that's why I said uh, that's that seems to be seem I don't know <laughs> it feels different man you, hey it's Gardner right it should be somehow true but uh, it's um, I thought like nah it feels different in our organization at least it fits also to my personal experience I. Our output went up quite, quite a bit. However, also what we realized is that the stress level went up and we need to be very careful not to overpower people. But apparently in many environments, this is something where you suddenly have not to worry about do the people work, but you have to worry about how, how can I make them work sustainable because they really do too much. Yeah. yeah. That's very exciting, actually. But do you think that's also maybe the role of trust in a team? That if you have a well-functioning team, that it's much more likely that they also work when they're not present at, at the office. And maybe Absolutely. teams that don't rely on that, those values are different. Absolutely. 
absolutely this this helps a lot and is necessary trust trust is an extremely positive word but sometimes especially with remote work uh, you have to be careful not to misuse it it is i trust you will deliver this this is not trust this is just dumping something on someone so uh, that was just a side side thinking that i had at this very moment in time so use trust as it's meant not uh, not as uh, as a means of dumping something to someone nice you know speaking of values right there's quite a move and i think also siemens has quite early actually committed towards what means uh, about purpose driven right and value alignment between different stakeholders right and to be fair that's also if you look a bit broader in the press also there's a bit of whitewashing you know from various levels sometimes also there to be fair i think it's it's nevertheless a very very important discussion that is ongoing meaning you know that employees desire actually to work for organizations who values align with their very own, right? And that means, you know, there is a bigger impact instead of only, you know, um, um, you know, st stakeholders in terms of value sharing, you know, monetary aspects, but also about, you know, what role in creating a social and responsible and sustainable ecosystems, right? Do you feel that we are moving from the traditional product market fit to maybe a product planet fit? <laughs> this is a nice slogan, um, but but generally speaking, I believe this is indeed the case. I'm convinced that that many of the challenges that lie ahead of us as as a global society need technology to be solved. And what we see already, and and specifically, early talents are a good indicator for for such changes. They are really asking us for being a company that, that provides technology not only for the technology's sake or for money, but for solving those problems. And honestly, this is one of the biggest assets that we have as a company, Siemens, that we can offer to digital talents, that we can tell them, look, this is about helping to make manufacturing more efficient and safe resources. This is helping to transport things more, more simplified. This is helping to use equipment more effective. Then they can translate it into what this means for a society. And it helps us to attract them because they sometimes get bored by working for just programming the next version of how to extract money out of people by offering them new cooler advertisements, but rather really contributing to something that matters. And so definitely, and specifically, if you use the early talents as indicators for change, we see this massively. talk about AI, right? We're talking yeah, about, uh, let's, let's talk a bit of AI. And so is leadership in the age of AI actually a different thing? Is that is it in the age of data analytics, data-driven organizations? Is that a different thing? Or do you say the same paradigm holds still? That's interesting. <laughs> it's a very, very big question. Honestly, in the essence, a significant part of, perhaps we'll come to, to more, more detailed stuff later on this one, but in the essence, leadership is a lot also about sense-making and inspiring people. 
And it, it was always the case over decades. If I look now in today's environment, AI takes over parts of the sense making, but still it leaves us finally again with the problem. It prepares kind of data and decisions, at least at the moment, but still leadership is about sense making and inspiring people. So I would not say per se that the fundamentals of leadership have changed. <laughs> I guess what has more impact on leadership is that independent of AI, our environment gets less and less predictable. So we go away from a rather predictable environment into less predictable environments. That might have the far more fundamental uh, influence on, on leadership. AI has specific aspects when it comes to ethics and, and things like that. And what do we need to be careful when doing the sense-making piece of it? But that is a, a much more granular discussion. Well put. So the uncertainty is actually, you know, in a broader sense, in, in the speed of digitalization and aspects, the, the, the main aspect. That I guess that's the one that makes the biggest difference. The, the other is more subtle. Interesting view. Robert, if you look inside or outside the Siemens cosmos, are there any innovations or advances in the field of artificial intelligence that have really inspired you? Honestly, a, a rather boring one in, in the sense that everyone knows this. But what really, really amazed me was the progress in, in speech recognition, translation services and, and text creation systems. That, that re really, really impressed me. And I guess we, we still have not really understood what this could also do to society if suddenly we can talk to each other without at least any language barriers across countries. I guess this, this will change more than we think. And it impressed me from a technological perspective, what amazing progress we made over the last couple of, of years. So nothing very spectacular in terms of, whoa, this is completely new. I never thought about this, but really something that, that impressed me most. Yeah. I, th I think that's it's it's, uh, it's also amazing. It's uh, I, I would summarize it under accessibility, not only yes, accessibility absolutely. to technology, but also accessibility into interaction, where technology builds the basis. And if you see now the use, I don't know if I see my daughters how they interact with whom, whatever, whether it's Twitter, TikTok, or you know any any other aspects, they they are so naturally connected, and technology helps in translating automatically you know, making this connection very seamless. It's amazing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But also, uh, I think, and this is also maybe TikTok, <laughs> a nice example, personalization, right, is yeah. uh, of technical system is one of the key, you know, themes somehow. If you want to mimic a bit of intelligence, right, from a technical system to a user, right, you need to get a bit closer, right? Uh, appropriating, I don't know, you know, the, the needs, you know, you love specific music, you see specific images and stuff like that, or have something in your wall, in your social media rooms. But it, it can also incorporate, and also in the HR perspective, get very close, right? Identifying appropriate talents, maybe, right? Ranking them. Or, you know, maybe observing physical health can be improved ergonomics or, you know, maybe also as, as in a couple of HR things, right, um, as with, can we analyze sounds on depression and, you know, so how far should 
AI go in HR, right? Promotion prediction? Is that salary prediction, right? Position? What's your view on implementing AI and machine learning technology in HR? That's interesting. In, indeed, for AI, one of the key fields where lots of venture capital is flowing into currently is the HR space. Absolutely. So there's lots of innovation going on and lots of money pouring into that. And indeed, what you mentioned, the salary prediction is, is one of the typical use cases. So make recommendations for this. We ran last year a quite extensive benchmarking project and market analysis project where we screen basically run about 130, 150 solutions in the HR space. AI solution is AR space. And try to get a feel for where we are already close to application, where it's kind of only the, the fancy marketing bus, but nothing behind it. Generally speaking, the interesting outcome was that around about 50% of, of the AI was in the space of talent acquisition often on for experts. And then there was a, a second cluster very much centered around employee health. That were kind of the two areas where, where we saw most of the solutions already close to deployment or really in use. Many other use cases were kind of in the marketing phase, but we found often that the use cases behind them were not really, really working very well. So when looking into this field, enormous innovation speed. So you have to be up to date, probably update yourself every three months what's out there. But specifically in HR space, don't get fooled uh, by over, overly positive marketing. Many of those things are, are still in the very, very early phase and not nearly, not nearly on the level that, that you could use them and specifically fulfill all the legal requirements that sometimes come visit if you want to run a, a global HR landscape. Nevertheless, as said, in amazing spot ideas there, and I, I guess HR will change quite a bit going forward. You can automate quite a bit of the, the processes that we have and not only automate them, but even make them better by personalization. But be really, really careful. What are the legal constraints you're working in there? What are the ethical constraints you're, you're working in there? And I guess it will be slower than some people currently expect when just looking at the nice, shiny pilot use cases. Hmm. Great thoughts. So, so during the pandemic, actually, you know, it, it has been rated that one out of four companies has purchased new technology around AI for the first time to actually uh, track passively and monitor their employees. That, to be honest, <laughs> that doesn't sound like putting more trust and empowerment, right, in the folks out there. You know, what, what's your view on this? If, if I start with, with the typical answer on, on those things when technology gets questions, it's the answer. Technology as such is not good or bad. It's how you use it. And while this is very a very useless answer, it... it points us still uh, still to where we need to focus on. Obviously, if you track people, if you, as you mentioned before, if you, for example, uh, are able to do mood checks and, and things like that, this can help you improve mental health of your people. This can help your people to improve their mental health. So this is the good use. The bad use obviously would be, oh, I see this, the mood of this person goes down 
anyhow, I'm not sure whether I want this person in my company. Can I make use of, of my, my tracking system to get rid of those people? So same technology, completely different use cases. So I guess what, what we need to learn is to be very, very close to those technologies as they evolve. But, but at the same time, drive actively the discussion of what do we want in our company as the ethical boundary conditions, even if it's independent of legal constraints, what do we want? And this is independent of legal, something that a company can decide for itself, as long as it's within legal boundaries, obviously. And it will differentiate companies one from the other. Just as we have different cultures today in companies, also this will be part of the company culture. What are you allowing? What are you not allowing? It will be a differentiator to the good and to the bad. I guess we will run into much more of those discussions where we actively need to think about, do we want this? We know we could. Do we want this? Yes or no. Whom do we need at the table to decide about whether we want this or not? And probably we have to be aware that we need, as before, at the same speed as the technology moves forward. Because if we start our discussions always when the technology is already established, how would you then then influence it? So highly dynamic discussions on, on the ethics and what we want to use. Quite interesting thoughts. Also like the aspect of having really guidelines in place prior to when you actually need them so people can orient up front and you always know like where the boundaries are. But Robert, when we talk about HR and AI, we probably also should talk a little bit about the issue of bias, right? There are over 180 different types of human bias defined by psychologists, and each one of them can influence us in the decision-making process. But it seems that in AI, we mostly talk about challenges of incomplete data. And would you say potential intelligence systems could have the same number of biases? And what do you foresee? How do you expect those biases to influence the, the development of artificial intelligence? Absolutely important point. And by the way, one of the reasons why I said before, we need to be very careful how fast the adoption rate of AI in HR will be in reality, because this is one of the big problems. To your question, or uh, basic behind your question, could AI be the better non-biased human in a, in a sense? And the answer is currently no, because at least at the very moment, AI learns from biased behavior. And though we put lots of effort into, into creating unbiased data sets, still there's, there's so much risk to, to basically learn the artificial in intelligence our own biases, even if we try hard. So when talking to, to companies that are in this field for quite some while, they basically will tell you the AI algorithms, if you talk HR stuff, the AI algorithms are done, consider them done. It's not the problem. Perhaps 10% of the problem. 20% of the problem is, do we get enough data And the remaining 70% of the problem is how can we guarantee that our AI is trained with unbiased data? 
And the reason why companies are so careful with this is, first of all, because obviously you don't want to use biased data or make biased decision, one thing. Second thing, and and this is probably even more important, the legal, legal aspects, when you make decisions based on II that are based on biased data, you basically systematically, systematically, proven systematically, put a disadvantage, for example, on, on a minority. And even if we as individual humans are biased, it is a big difference whether you make a mistake as an individual rather than a company systematically causing disadvantage to, to some ethnicity, for example, by betting on an AI that was trained on biased data. So it is a huge problem and we need to work very, very hard and find also the spots where we can really trust in, in AI, that AI really is better than the human and, and can help us. Yeah, it's super tricky, right? There is no unbiased from my side, right? It's always biased. We all <laughs> biased. the data is always biased. Also, I'm, I've, I've been in innovation for a bit of a while, right? And in, in it, large organizations, sometimes I have the feeling, you know, you have to be like Frodo of Lord of the Rings, right? Who just returns from Mordor and then identifying, oh, fuck, I forgot to drop the ring in there, right? <laughs> so, meaning, you know, never ending journey, you know, it's always high probability, you know, you're not come through with an idea, right? Or maybe politics or something else, right? Just, you know, uh, never worked out. Is there some lessons learned you can share with the young talents out there or the future leader, you know, who are willing to dare to make a difference in the organization, right? In corporations. First, let, let me say I love big corporations because the levers you have in big corporations are far bigger than you have in, in the mom and pop shop around the corner. But they come with some disadvantages. I guess if you want to make change, in my understanding, it's you really have to be logical on why you want to do this change and really understand whether it's really, really necessary because it will be a long journey. Be logical, be radical also in the thinking of what you want to achieve. Because if you have no clear picture, what is radically different, if you are successful, why should you care? Just making a small step doesn't make anything. So be clear, logical and radical on where you want to get. But then if you're logical and radical, then after that, be completely patient. It takes organizations quite a while to adopt and you can't give up. And this timescales can be a year, can be two years, can be three years. So be logical, be radical and be patient. That, that would be the three things. And if I add a fourth one in terms of how you do this, uh, it would be probably always think how you make others shine if they head in the direction you want them to go rather than trying to shine yourself. So that probably would then be four things, be logical, be radical, be extremely patient and make sure that others shine if they run into the direction you want them. That would be kind of a high level advice, but still it's frustrating sometimes. Wow, thanks so much for sharing and for taking the time today. 
to join us in this uh, super exciting session. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for sharing all your knowledge with us. But before we finish this episode, we also want to play our final game with you, Authentic Autocomplete. So let me give you for the closing a couple of sentence starters and you will just finish. Yep. So Siemens is? Is one of the coolest companies to work for. And I've quite seen a, a, quite a bit of it. Love that. Leadership is? A fascinating challenge that never ends. And, and this is actually the fun part of it. Well put. Innovation is? Individual openness to always question the status quo. <laughs> If you install the status quo, even then, yeah. The world should have more of. People who ask cool questions, like, like you guys, by the way. <laughs> Thanks so much. And last but not least, if I could invent a rule for everyone in the world to follow, it would be? <laughs> um, I'll give it a try. In doubt, respect other people's views because they might have a reason for having this view. Nice. Robert, thanks so much um, for, you know, we feel really honored to engage and interact with you. It was really magnificent. We really appreciate your time. And thanks for being you, basically, and spending this time with us. Thanks a lot for having me. And folks out there, stay tuned. There is a lot more to come. I don't know what, but this, this, this is the bar now, guys. Right? Stay bold, committed, and open-minded. And we hear us definitely at the next Siemens AI Lab podcast. Cheers. Cheers.